I mean, what a week! Headband, headbands. Oh, we haven't, we haven't done it. We there we go. We said we were going to get dressed up. Oh, here we go. I've got a headband. Have I got a headband? Actually, I have. I'm going to go and get one. Well, here we go. It's an Elmo's fire review week so sarah as she promised is just popped away from the mic to get a headband perfect vision obviously for a podcast oh beautiful is that a purple headband it's a purple headband and you're probably wondering why has she got a headband so i've just explained to the listeners whilst you went off to get it (laughs) what this is all about st elmo's fire review week so you know why not Yes, it's eighties. I just haven't got any long, long socks on. Eighties, uh, fantastic. But this is but going no. On. The reason why I've got a headband is because my son, he's a goalkeeper, and his hair is seriously growing through lockdown, and his hair's in his face all the time. So we bought him some headband, a headband to put on when he does his goalkeeping training, and I was given one too, a, a rather fetching, bright, light purple one. Oh, this is superb! Well, I've so um, I am donning it now. We'll have to make sure that maybe this does go up on the Facebook page, seeing as no one can actually <laughs> no, see. No, we're not putting it on the Facebook page. I've, I've already screen captured <laughs> it. <laughs> I'm going to keep this on whilst we talk about our first film. But firstly, before we get there, what, have you watched anything this week? I have, but it's TV and you're probably going to find this rather amusing. But I started watching a TV series as a result of a conversation with your good husband. <laughs> which, right. which is, is Now I'm which, curious. It's not Gold Hunters, is it? it well, it's the Curse <laughs> of Oak Island. It's a, I know, exactly. I know. Yeah. I'm not sure whether there will be one female viewer who watches this particular TV show because it is basically boys with toys, as in very expensive drilling equipment, trying to uncover treasure on an island in Nova Scotia. And your husband told me about it. And I must admit, I thought, mm, that sounds quite intriguing. And I started watching series three, which is where he joined. So I thought I'd join at the same time, <sighs> the same point he did. And mm, so we're talking <laughs> maybe literally four or five days later, I think I've watched two series worth. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you're hooked as well. And it doesn't interest me whatsoever. It's, it's on the same level as Scrap Heap Challenge. And I'm probably going to get a load of people oh, saying, you can't Scrap compare Heap it. Challenge was fantastic. Or it. Robot Wars. It is in line with... No, uh, it's with not. Like, I'm not having it, that. It's it not is, in line with Robot Wars. So, Robot Wars is so just a bunch... Is. It's just a bunch of people putting it's together... It's a geek ne- fest. Geek fest. Yeah, but OK, <laughs> hang on. There's some historical importance with this as well. It's not just... <laughs> Yeah, it's not just kind of boys with toys. Boys with like toys worth two million pounds drilling like two hundred feet beneath the earth to try and uncover treasure, which by mm. all accounts is down there, along mm. with an incredibly, unbelievable, intricate booby trap system with all of these underground tunnels, supposedly dating back to the fifteen, sixteen hundreds. Hook line and sinker. I'm in. I'm in for the long (laughs) haul. That's all I can say. Oh, I better be quiet. I might. I might end up getting divorced if if I keep slating his favorite favorite TV. So anyway, that that's not. I don't. I haven't watched Gold Hunters before. This is the curse. This is the curse of Oak 
island this is gold hunters is just sweatier and more flies basically I don't know what's yeah. happened to me like last week it was admitting i've been watching married at first sight australia and now i'm admitting i've been watching some like cheesy american treasure hunt program i've got to reel this in and get back onto some films Do you know what it is what is it it's lockdown it is lockdown you're absolutely <laughs> lockdown. right you're absolutely right i've hit rock bottom folks there's not um, much it's not a huge amount there's Ginny and georgia i'm watching which is more of a teenage thing. It's a little bit ris- more risque than, than Dawson's Creek when I was a teenager, I have to say. They're getting a bit more bit more cheeky with the teenage TV programmes these days, but it's always quite fun to watch. I watched Falcon and the Winter Soldier with Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, so Sam and Bucky joining forces. It's not a huge amount that's happened in the first episode, but it's more engaging, I would say, than Wonder Vision series, the first episode, which I got completely put off by the format it was in so i'm prepared to watch the next one there's a new baddie in town super strengths and everything and um really they want to be the next captain america because captain america retired in Endgame from the avengers series last time it's a continuation of that basically i have watched a film a great one actually i think for the family called yesterday so it's got Jennifer Gartner and Edgar Ramirez in it and their mum and dad and they've got three kids. However, Alison and Carlos, the mum and dad, when they met, they were always up for everything, like jumping out of planes. They were always like, yes, we'll do this, we'll do that. And then when, as soon as they had children, it was no, no, you can't do that. Oh, don't go for that. And we all do it as parents. And the son in the family produces this video for his school project and it's how awful his mum is and saying, so negative and then the parents get called in to the school they showed the video and how negative the mum was and that the dad was kind of a bit soft really and let them get away with all sorts she was horrified that her son saw her in that way and they decided to have after talking to the school coach that he has a yes day so you have to say yes to everything the children suggest but they have a set of rules they have to do their homework, get great marks, and then they can have this yes day, which ends up being like balloon fights and eating humongous bowls of ice cream and all sorts. So it's a good family film. So I recommend Yes Day and it's on Netflix, I think. Let me just check. It's, you know what? My oh. son, as this film was going on, he could see ticking in his mind, when is my yes day? When is my yes day, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's on Netflix. Well, good stuff. Well, that's good. Always good to get a film on Netflix for everyone to watch. Mm, yes. So we'll have a chat about the Oscars maybe towards the end of this, uh, seeing mm-hmm. as it's coming up. We thought we might have a little chat about different categories between now and, is it April? End of April, I think the Oscars are. I'm still wearing my headband. I know ready. you are. I'm getting a headache, actually. Sorry, <laughs> so so do you want to do you want to get <laughs> on with this? Are we going to start with St. Elmo's Fire then? Yeah, the music for that has been in my head for the last couple of days. I know, oh, I know. It, it's annoying. So, we, so this week's films were St. Elmo's Fire and the recent Denzel Washington film, The Little Things. So we're, yeah. we're going to start, let's start upbeat, let's go St. Elmo's Fire. Is it upbeat? That is the question. Is oh, well, the okay, question. if we're comparing it to The Little Ooh, Things, then... Yes, all right, it's more slightly upbeat. more upbeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Released in 1985, it was one mine from last week. You chose it for... Romance. romance. It's a romance, yeah. It's directed and written by Joel Schumacher and also written by Carl Kalander. 
However, Joel Schumacher is responsible for the likes of The Lost Boys, which he did two years later, Flatliners, Falling Down, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, 8mm, Phone Booth, a whole caboodle of them. So this is kind of earlier on in his career and created some great films after this as well. It stars Demi Moore, Rob Lowe, Andrew McCarthy, Ali Sheedy, Mayor Winningham, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Andy McDowell. I have to say them all because they're pretty much the brat pack of that era. I would say, um, and they all get pulled into all sorts of different movies when they're in their 20s, I guess. So we follow seven postgrads from college trying to find themselves. However, most of them seem to be drinking or smoking or taking drugs and too much of, of, of that really, meaning they get into themselves into pickles and relationship blossoms and then shuts down. And really, they're really struggling with being adults after graduating. And that's, to be honest, that is really it. You come in on the different relationships, the different characters, a few of these scenes reminded me of other films. I mean, for example, we've got Leslie, who's Ali Sheedy, after her breakup with Alec, who's Judd Nelson, discovers that Kevin, Andrew McCarthy, has an infatuation with her and discovers all these photos in her apartment. And it just reminds me of Andrew Lincoln and, and Kira Knightley characters in End Love Actually. And also Andy McDowell just seems to play the similar type of girl next door, really, um, as she does in Four Weddings and a Funeral, and pretty much the same in, in this film as well, and always having a, a man chasing after her and this I would say was Andy McDowell's second film and really launched her career after this as well I found the most disturbing was probably Kirby played by Amelia Vestavez he was so infatuated with Andy McDowell's character he was just following her trying to impress her all the time and it's just it was a bit cringeworthy on occasions I have to be honest but my favorite character and probably I'm gonna be honest probably a bit more like me was probably Wendy <laughs> Mayor, Mayor Winningham and she's done a load of TV series series but she was just very simple had a good job she gets off with everyone loves everyone but has a real desire to be with Billy the, the wild saxophone player and Billy was played by Rob Lowe a 19 year old Rob Lowe so it was he was quite young in this and Mare interestingly was the eldest out of all of them and they even had two children before the film so it's a real contrast but you wouldn't have known it by watching the actual film Demi Moore Jules apparently also had a drug problem during this film and she was in rehab shooting this and to be honest good on her trying to get through the filming of this as well and she apparently even dated Amelia Estevez but I'm, I'm going divulging already into factoids here so there's not a huge amount to talk about on, on the plot but be good to understand Rob what you thought of the film and also it was anyone that resonated more with you as well <laughs> what character are you? Are, are you Billy with a saxophone I was going to say film? yeah well it has to be <laughs> Billy doesn't it <laughs> I watched it on a Sunday afternoon and I thought this is just the perfect Sunday afternoon movie. Yes, I think the Sunday I, afternoon. <laughs> I know. I think we mentioned this with River Runs Through, runs it, through it for yeah. different kind of reasons. But yeah, this, I don't know what it was. It's just so easy to watch this film. It, I mean, watching the likes of Emilio Estevez, Rob Lowe, Demi Moore, I suppose actors who have probably had a slightly longer career than some of the others in the Brat Pack, like Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, et cetera, et cetera, Andrew McCarthy. First of all, it's just great fun to see them so young. And I don't think it's perhaps easy to relate to all of these characters in terms of a bunch of friends. It's a bit like when you watch 
the sitcom Friends. I mean, no one's got like a group of friends who all act like this, but it's cool to pretend that this is a, a life you can just quickly drop in on and see all these characters navigate their way through this post-college time when they've all got problems of their own, whether it's a drug problem with Jules or whether it's people trying to find love or figure out who they are or figure out what jobs they want to do. I mean, you know, Rob Lowe's got a a kid with a woman who he seems to be wanting to keep. Yeah. Yeah. They were married. They're married. married In actual fact, I thought his character was probably the most caricature character in so Mm. much as I found it a bit of a leap to buy into his... I mean, I'm not saying I'm buying into all of these characters, to be honest. It's like, we're supposed to think, oh, poor Billy... No one kind of understands him. He's he's always drinking and he's the most popular guy in the bar on the saxophone and everyone loves him and he's the pretty boy. And he, But he's got a wife and a kid and we're supposed to feel sorry for him because there are times he wants that. He wants to win her back. Then the next minute, he's just cracking on to whoever it might be, pretty much all of his friends, one by one. So I think it's hard to necessarily invest in any individual character. The one, the one I liked the most was Kevin. He was probably, of the guys anyway, the most likable character. The one who seemed actually the most normal, which is a little bit ironic because in the movie, they pinpoint him as someone who's not normal because he's never really, you know, hasn't really had a girlfriend and they suspect he's gay and he hangs around with Alec. But he was, I don't know, he was just kind of quite a quick-witted guy who was just sits on the fringes and he was quite cool. Um, I quite liked him. I mean, Demi Moore, totally over the top. Her character was just completely glamour, larger than life. But yes, you know, she's got a drink problem and or, or drug mm. problem in it. And Andy McDowell, I had to have a big crush on Andy McDowell, I have to say. So I was quite glad to see her in this. It is quite amusing, though. Apparently, she said this was a life-changing experience. Yeah, it was her second film, though, wasn't it? So Yeah, I can only assume it's a life-changing experience because it catapulted her into stardom mm. as opposed to an amazing filmmaking experience mm. or, or role because like you say she didn't have much screen time she was just this woman that kirby like you say became i'd say obsessed, obsessed, with. obsessed with he even like mm. ends up getting a job purely so he can try and impress her i mean that storyline i have to say was i actually found quite strange because he showed such obsessive behavior <laughs> to try and have this opportunity to express his um, love for her. And she kind of knows it's all going on, but she's kind of with someone else. It's like she just lets it all happen. And I think this is, a, well, I won't say too much about it in case people haven't seen St. Elmo's Fire, but when he eventually catches mm-hmm. up with her on her little holiday in the mountains with her fella, and he turns up and she's like, oh God, she's with someone else. And she's like, oh no, no, come in. And they're both just very nice to him. He manages to have that kiss with her whilst the other guy goes in to get the camera but you still know that he's driving off and he's you know he's not going to get her he's not going to get the girl but he got the kiss it's almost like i've made yeah. my point and that, i found that quite strange he drove off and it's like Whoa! it's like I know. Oh, I've, I've done it and i thought hang on like 
all that weird obsessive stalking behavior yeah. Was, yeah. was just because you wanted to kiss her that was it yeah but hang on a minute she looked very confused afterwards well i know she, that but i was Ill- like oh that was actually quite nice and uh, she quite liked the attention i think and i thought having not seen the film before oh well i know what the setup here is you know we're getting towards the end of the film she's just going to crop up kirby thinks he drives off thinks that's the end of it happy days but i thought oh they're gonna wrap this up somehow with dale and his character suddenly kind of walking up to kirby <laughs> back at home and they were gonna they, that was gonna be the final thing oh and even they've got together or a ding ding dong on the yeah like house. exactly <laughs> i suppose i had like four weddings in my head or something stupid yeah. like that i thought there's gonna be some happy ending between those i've i thought that was actually the one storyline which didn't seem to perfectly fit all mm. the rest of the stuff because all of the other stories were about the relationship between all of the friends in terms mm. of all of their issues whereas actually Kirby seemed to just be a pretty good guy who just got a little bit sidetracked by a girl he decided to stalk and mm. that was just his storyline you kind of feel they didn't really progress they started off all good mates and none uh, of them progressed no no and then and then it's almost like they had a little uh, you know a month or two where they just messed around and things went wrong and then and then at the end of the film it's like they were back to how they were at the beginning but you kind of see another group of grads going into the saint elmo's bar to follow their footsteps almost it's the idea that clearly obviously the film was was focusing on that period of your life Mm. where you've just finished school college and there's just lots of stuff changing figuring out who you are Mm. like i said before but i suppose because that was all just condensed Mm. into what felt like quite a short period of time then it's like all of a sudden oh we've got to the end of the film now like uh you know biddy's biddy's getting on a coach to go off and try and make it as a saxophonist in wherever new york leaving Mm. his wife and child behind i guess he's just figured out he's 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 not going to be a good dad yeah and then they all just kind of walk off as if the rest of their lives are ahead of them and things are going to slowly change i have to give them credit though whatever happened whenever they were struggling or there was some some problems they kind of all pulled together didn't they for supporting each other that probably is the overriding theme of it and i think maybe that is the biggest attraction of it Mm. is that these Mm. are bunch of very very close-knit friends and for all their foibles as it were Mm -hmm. they're always there for each other and I suppose that's probably at the end of the day the thing you most relate to if you have a group Mm -hmm. of friends that you kind of you know that everyone's got each other's back elements of this do remind me of university and the Mm -hmm. kind of like camaraderie you have with a group of friends at university without a doubt so yes there's just enough in a film like this that allows you to relate to bits of things and it's quite a warm film in so much as wouldn't you Mm. like to maybe just spend a bit of time in st elmo's bar with these guys what a cool guy (laughs) that would be what um, a busy bar, though, wasn't it? Very Gosh, busy I wouldn't bar. like that. I very wouldn't have liked yeah. that. It's too, too sweaty in there. Well, that was based on, that apparently was based on a bar that I think it was Joel Schumacher, or it was based on a bar from one of their university days, apparently. Yeah. And then interestingly, that I thought the storyline with Kevin, when everyone thought he was a closet gay and they thought that he was in love with Alec who obviously was in a in a relationship with Leslie, when in actual fact it was Leslie. Leslie. I thought that was quite interesting. I, you know, because when I was watching, I thought, well, it's this 1985. 
I thought that storyline, it was quite good they threw that in. And in a weird way, I felt, well, that would have been quite good if they kind of went with that a bit more. But again, I didn't realise this, Joel Schumacher, gay, and, and they reckon that particular part of the story might have just come from his own experiences. Right, um, OK. But I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. But um, they're all pretty cool. Yeah, characters. it was the second film after, you know, Amelia Estefez, Ali Sheedy and Judd Nelson were in The Breakfast Club, which was, you just told me it was released around the same time, but they filmed it before. But you feel that this film should come after The Breakfast Club, because The Breakfast Club is about them being students at school, whereas this is them graduating. It's like, wow, they've... they've <laughs> They've progressed in a couple of years in yeah, no time, haven't they? Exactly. <laughs> in, exactly. In well, we would just say, apparently, yeah, Breakfast Club was released in the first week of June in 1985, and yeah. this was released, like, at the end of June 1985. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, like you say, haven't they grown they up? <laughs> yeah, I know different directors, but they should have spaced yeah, them out a little bit, I reckon. Maybe. I haven't got too much more to say about it. I just, it was one of those films, I, it was really enjoyable, you didn't have to invest too much of your brain into it. It was great fun watching the Brat Pack, the music, the the instrumental, and of course the um, St. Elmo's Fire soundtrack was just great. Perfect Sunday afternoon movie. Um, mm. I mean, I'd happily watch it again mm. in, in the same kind yeah. of mood on the same on the same. Yeah. another Sunday afternoon. It's a bit of a shame that Ali Sheedy's not done much more, to be honest. Because I mean, I really liked. I like War Games, which she was in before this, and I like Breakfast Club. I loved Short Circuit when I was a kid as well, and then she did the second one of that as well. And then it's just a whole, there's not much going on after that, lots of TV and bit parts and stuff like that, and it's just a real shame. In fact, all of them have kind of done bit parts, really. Demi Moore, obviously, she actually raised her fame after Ghost, I would say, which was five years later. She then did A Few Good Men, G.I. Jane, a spat of you know TV series as well, and then I have to say Andy McDowell's probably done the best because uh, this was her second film. I mean, she did Jane and Greystoke, Legend of Tarzan, beforehand, and then she did Green Card in 1990, Hudson Hawk, Groundhog Day, which was brilliant. I love Groundhog Day, and and do you know what they showed Groundhog Day on one of the channels? I think it was the Comedy Central. Uh, they showed Groundhog Day repetitively on Groundhog Day. Oh my god! Well, I mean, everyone's referred to Groundhog Day with lockdown, haven't they? In the last, yeah. like, the last year, yeah. And then uh, four weddings, and she did Michael with John Travolta, Magic Mike. I didn't realize she was in that. And the moment she's in Mr. Mayor with Ted Danson TV series. So none of them are really doing juicy films right no, now. No, you're right. I mean, if you're just looking at the amount of films they've done and how successful they've been, yeah, you're right. Demi Moore, Rob Lowe, Media Esves have done just as many misses as they have hits. Yeah. Whereas Andy McDowell, like you say, those films, so many of those films, like you say, Four Weddings, Green Card, you know, you know, it's like when she, it's a bit like when Costner, when Costner had that purple patch, it, she had that purple patch for three, four, five films there in a row. I think it's just that thing. It's like she plays the same character, but she's just, it just worked for that period of time. Yeah, I mean, 10 million to make. And took uh, $37.8 million worldwide gross at the box office at the time. But it's just, it is a Sunday afternoon film. I, it had me engaged pretty much throughout. I just like watching the, the characters from those actors from yeah. when they really started out, really. That's, yeah. that's the fun of it. Exactly right. There is a big appeal mm. just to watch mm. this lot doing this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. So what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it seven and a half. 
out of 10. I'm going to give it the same. Um, oh, probably okay. for similar reasons, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's it's a classic. It plods along a little bit now and then. But, it, yeah, really the value is just watching these stars again when they were young. So all good. So the next film. The Little Things. Our new films is our new release. Yeah, so this is on Amazon Premium at the moment, but hopefully it won't be long before maybe the price comes down. So this is directed by John Lee Hancock, written by John Lee Hancock, starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek and Jared Leto. It's set in 1990. The film opens with what I actually found a really kind of intriguing and quite gripping sequence where we have a girl who's driving down this desolate highway and gets tailed by a guy. And there's a bit of cat and mouse before she ends up pulling over at a service station ahead of him, completely scared. And we see him then arrive and him get out of the car. You don't see his face. She manages effectively to run off and escape. But that's the kind of setting. And it immediately puts you in this frame of mind of the kind of film we're going to get. And this has been compared probably more unfavorably to Seven in so much as a modern neo-noir film. Anyway, we then have Joe Deacon, or Deke as he's known, played by Denzel Washington. He's a small town deputy sheriff who's called to LA's County Sheriff's Department where he used to work just for some routine evidence collection. But when he gets there, everyone knows him and he arrives in the middle of what's about to become quite a big case. And we have Jimmy Baxter, played by Rami Mann, who is addressing the press at the time and he hears quite quickly about this guy's past credentials and asks him to accompany him to the scene of a new murder as it has similarities to an old unsolved case that Deacon was involved with. More murder victims are gradually uncovered as part of this case, all female, and Deacon begins to investigate a guy called Albert Sparmer, played by Jared Leto, who he suspects for the murders. So what began as what should have just been a trip where he comes in and he just goes back although Baxter is recognizing that he can help and he's asking for his help we have Deacon who is reluctantly going along and helping him out and eventually it's quite clear he's not going to go back he's already got wrapped up in this case just as Baxter does. So they both start investigating this lone drifter guy who they both suspect for these murders. Deacon follows him one afternoon and Sparma basically clocks that he's tailing him and you know makes him look a complete chump because he drives up to his window. And this so riles Deacon that eventually they pull him in for investigation. We're not really at this point aware if there is even a connection between Sparma and the murders, they're kind of almost bringing this guy in purely because they've already made up their mind. They interrogate him, but they've got no concrete evidence, so they have to let him go, at which point Sparma really then just starts to taunt both of them. You know, this is out in public. And you get this situation where it's almost like a game for Sparma, taunting both Baxter and Deacon as they just grow more and more convinced he's the guy. Baxter then learns that Sparma has a history of misleading the police, which he appears to completely ignore. You know, his superiors trying to tell him, look, you know, you're getting in too deep. You're getting too personally involved. And he then actually goes on to tell him that Deacon went down a similar route when he used to work there for a case similar to this. You're going the same way. Don't let him drag you in. And you begin to learn that Deacon had a complete psychological breakdown, heart attack, mental illness 
illness, lost his wife, the whole shebang. And so you start to realize, okay, Deacon's got sucked into this case because there's something gone on in his past that he can't shake. And Baxter's letting him come in and dragging him down. Barris, Baxter's captain, warns him not to get personally attached. But if anything, it just seems to fuel this personal vendetta he clearly has. So by this point, we're already then starting to see the strains on Baxter in terms of his family life. In factual fact, there's a scene that just feels like it's been lifted from Seven, even though it's not all dark and gloomy, where Deacon is invited over to Baxter's house and the wife's there and they're all chatting. And it's clear anyway that, as I say, rather than heeding the advice he's been given, this is all going to build to a head. Until one night, Sparma confesses to Baxter, then he offers to drive Baxter to the site of one of the victims. And I'll just leave it there because I think think anything else, obviously, is going to end up being a spoiler. So I don't know. I found it a very intriguing setup. It's clear why it would be compared to Seven, but I do think Seven is, well, I think it's a far superior film. Seven, I thought, was far more gritty. I don't think it was exactly the same as Seven, but I can understand the comparisons. But anyway, I'll leave it that. I'm intrigued to kind of know what you thought about this because I've got quite strong thoughts about it. Yeah, there are bits I liked, bits I didn't like. So what did you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd probably agree with that as well. So um, firstly, great to see Denzel Washington, Jared Leto and Rami Malek together. They pretty much sell the film straight away. And I mean, I've not seen Rami Malek. I know he has done some other stuff. I've not seen him since Bohemian Rhapsody. Denzel Washington, last time I saw him was in Equalizer 2. And Leto, I used to watch him in My So-Called Live. I loved him in My So-Called Live for TV series when I was a young teenager. Obviously, he's played the Joker and in Suicide Squad. And it's great to pull these guys together. They all are all very credible actors. And this film is very, very dark. I didn't like Jared Leto's character, Sparma. He was kind of eerie, very hillbilly looking. Got had a right tummy on him, didn't he? And there must have been a bit of a fat suit going on there because I know that he's not built like that, I don't think, anyway. And same with Denzel Washington. I think he had something similar as well because he's not built like that either yeah i thought the same thing i thought there's got to be a fat suit on yeah, uh, on yeah. jared Leto. <laughs> i quite liked yeah. the fact that there was a bit of timber on denzel as well i thought that played yeah. into him you know this kind of slightly you know, aging sheriff i liked that part of yeah. you know, that idea <laughs> Okay. Um, and Denzel Washington, you know, he's, he's he's trying to help, but he's steering Malik's character, so Baxter, down the wrong path. And he just is he's slightly unhinged and he's, he's haunted by some girls of unsolved murders as well, which is just quite disturbing. He put these pictures of these girls up in his, his hotel room and Baxter goes and visits him one day and sees all this and he just thinks, what on earth is going on? It's a bit creepy, really. And that, yeah, it has got elements of, of seven style to it but yes it's I don't think it's as half as meaty as seven and um seven's really horrible in places there's some great twists and turns in the film it does leave you quite disturbed at the end to be honest and I'm not going to give it away but I felt that Deacon was kind of coaching Baxter throughout the whole film really but I think he was just leading him astray at the same time and I think this film I kind of thought maybe they didn't need all three characters maybe they could just have had Malik and Leto in this film and, and homed in on those two without having Washington in it but Washington does bring the twists and turns in the in the storyline so that's his part to add to it. But I kind of thought, what if they just focused on just those two characters a bit more, really? Um, might have been a bit more, I don't know, a bit more interesting in, in places, I think. I wouldn't say it was my 
my favourite film of the three of them in. I thought, uh, as I said, Leto was really horrible. He played it very, very well, though. And actually, I'm surprised he's not even on a Best Supporting Actor list for, for the Oscars. I think he, he did play that role really well. Um, the director of the film, John Lee Hancock, um, has done some great films. And this is, I would say, very far away from what he's done before. I mean, he's done Saving Mr Banks, The Blind Side, Founder, which is a story of Ray Kroc, who turned the local McDonald's into biggest restaurant business. That's a great film. Yeah, it's a great film. And and The Highwaymen is probably the closest to this film, but this is really going one step level dark, deeper than any of those, to be honest. So um, a very different film for him. Malik's career, I think, is really taking off now. He did Bohemian Rhapsody, but now he's really starting to be one of the main characters in, in many other films and, and a, a good star cast as well. And he's actually got about three other projects in production. But Jared Leto, I think he's having a bit of another comeback because he's got nine movies in the running with Tron 3 and, and he's playing two more Joker films and he's apparently going to be playing Andy Warhol in a biographical movie as well. So yeah, there's got a lot coming. And and I love Denzel Washington anyway. Whatever film Denzel Washington is, I... I it piques my interest, to be honest. He's a real good draw. And he's he's Oscar winning, obviously, for Training Day and The Glory, which Glory is actually, I think, is on my list, Under War. A brilliant, brilliant film. And, I mean, he's acting since 1977, and he's done so much. And Tom Hanks, he's a great actor, but he claims when he did Philadelphia, he was learning from Denzel Washington, which is, is something. And I love the fact that Denzel Washington paid for Chadwick Boseman to go to University of Oxford. Yeah, he was behind, really, the success of his career as well. So I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Denzel Washington. So usually I tend to like most of his films and great to see Rami Malek in more stuff. And yeah, I think Jared Leto's, he's, he's had a peak, but he's coming back. I think he's having another comeback. So all good. I'm not going to touch more on, on the film, to be honest, Rob, because I think you kind of run through it all. And I feel if I touch on any more elements, I think we'll be giving more away. But have you got any further thoughts? You said you've got some strong opinions on this film. I just thought that it, I mean, I, we, we've talked about this many times before, that there are characters in films that are supposed to be disliked, and that's their role. And there are characters that are, they just sit in grey areas. And I think that's when often you get very interesting films, because you're not quite sure whether to like a character or not like a character. Now, I don't want to compare this to Seven, because Seven, for me, is just a far more superior period visceral dark gritty film than this but mm. the comparison you could draw is that you've got two cops who are both to a degree not i wouldn't say you know, obsessively trying to crack a murder case of quite a twisted murderer and the thing that works with seven and i'm purely talking about the characters here you think of brad pitt's character morgan freeman's character you know, you can invest in them. They are likable. Yes, they have their flaws. Of course they do. But they are likable enough for you to invest in them. The issue I have with this is that whilst I was really intrigued with Denzel Washington's character, I loved the fact that he was, as I say, playing a slightly kind of ageing mm. sheriff. I thought that it was quite mm. intriguing. There was something about his past you, you don't really kind of quite know about. He doesn't talk a lot. 
it's all gestures, it's all looks. I thought that was great to see Denzel Washington do that. I mean, he's a superstar. He's an amazing actor. But I think as the film progresses, and especially the ending, which we're not going to go into here, this is an ending which is worth seeing for that. Again, this is another reason it's compared to Seven, because there's a kind of twisty ending that, mm. that you have to kind of watch, but for me, not on the same level. I just found that once I knew enough about Denzel Washington's past, which only really comes out once you watch the whole film and once you see where Baxter's character gets to and their actions I found it difficult to find any reason why not to think that their motivations both of them were anything other than just just all out wrong you know mm-hmm. normally there's a bit of morality you might be able to see in these characters you know something that makes you think oh that's why they did it but for me there just wasn't really any of that and I think for that I found it a very dour bleak film and that's the reason why I feel saddened in some ways because I thought there's lots of things about this which were going for it but I just thought that there was too much dark in it there was no light at all for me none in the characters and I think whereas often in the third part of a film things kind of come together and you you end up with a period of reflection that unearths more about characters that makes you feel on a slightly higher kind of plane about it or for me I thought that's where we were going with it and at the end I just thought well wow I just found it all quite incredibly depressing and downbeat and I didn't really like them (laughs) yeah well I I actually thought they'd be more taunting as well from Leto when Malik and Leto's characters were on their own I thought it'd be more taunting there was a little bit but it was more verbal nothing physical I I, I, I was kind of expecting than to, to have a rough and tumble, really, but nothing really happened. Yes, um, I agree. There's a specific part of the film that uh, I know you're missing. I agree. missing something, I felt, anyway. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. In the same way that in Seven you have that bit in the desert and it all builds to a head, yeah. you know, there, there yeah. is a similar kind of flavour to the end of this film. And and I'm, I'm with you. When it got to that bit, I thought, oh, here we go. This yeah, is, exactly. This is but getting... No, a bit flat, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, really? and then suddenly, bang, something happens, and it's like, oh, okay, oh. okay. Yeah. And then that's kind of that, and then after that... That, there's not really any light at all and, and like you know it's and then you like find what, out all the twisty bits yeah then like, you find out then what? you find out the full history and like yeah. you know as i say you know looked great definitely great actors and they all do a very good job i mean jared leto i think is just born for these kind of roles it's just his thing but it just fell short and also and i know this seems a strange thing to say there's no female characters in this at all you know and I, and I think you know people might listen to this go well yeah but you've, you've reviewed loads oh, of films where there's no female there, you, there you, are female characters but they're the victims well of course yeah they're, they're the victims and you know now I was thinking back to Seven okay well you could say the same with Seven like yes they meet Gwyneth Paltrow when they go around for dinner and she's involved mm-hmm. a little bit but and you get a glimpse of Baxter's wife and mm-hmm. it's all very similar but For some reason, that really annoyed me about this. But I think Mm. it annoyed me because I didn't like these blokes. And maybe that's why it annoyed me a little bit that there was no female presence at all. Yeah. Yeah, it might have been quite good to have a a female lead in it as well. Just to, you know, backtrack their story and and them being a detective as well. So, yeah, Yeah. no, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. 
I just got a bit frustrated with some of the stupidity of Baxter in this film, and which was Malik's character, and it, it was a bit flat on occasions. So I'm simply for the actors. The acting was pretty good. It was just the storyline that was a bit lacking, I would say. The mood of it all was all good, the, the music and everything. It was just the storyline let it down a little bit, but I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. <laughs> Oh, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I'm, I was just... I was, I'm I, matched I know, this is ridiculous, <laughs> but I mean, these aren't... You know, obviously, we're not following it. We're not just doing this. But yeah, I would give it a seven as well. Yeah. And, I, and for very similar reasons. Good acting, looked good, all the rest of it. But yeah, just too many flaws in the in the actual story and so much as where it left you at the end, really. It's interesting to... I mean... Go ahead and watch it. I mean, we're oh, I think people, off watching it. I, I think people, people should. should watch it, yeah. I think people should watch it. I know it sounds weird after what we just what we just said, but mm. I, I do think people should watch it because these three guys are great actors, and mm. it's almost just a shame that the story wasn't slightly different to allow us. I think to invest in them more because they're, they're very they're so good at what they do yeah anyway seven still a good score but i think there's other films that we prefer these actors in yeah. so yep yeah. okay so that's that oscar nomination time so the actual oscars is on sunday the 21st of april isn't it it is and we've already had the golden globes so we've had an indication of where some awards might go I mean, I thought maybe we're looking at the best picture category. I mean, the first thing that springs to mind, if you go through them, is a lot of these aren't released yet, or and so we haven't seen a lot of them. We've got The Father, mm-hmm. which stars Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins, which is probably going to be the biggest draw for most people. Judas and the Black Messiah, which is one of the films that's kind of on our list because we've got a British actor, but two actors in this film are up for supporting role. Mank, which is a David Fincher film, which is on Netflix, has been for a while actually, which tells the story of the writer of Citizen Kane, which is this kind of modern black and white film. We talked about this, isn't we? So often at the Oscars, there's like a critic's choice film or one that is probably not mm. going to have a huge mainstream appeal. They're always a bit of a sucker for um, black and white films or something a little bit different, aren't they? So Yeah. Yeah, and also it's citizen, the subject matter for that is Citizen Kane. So I don't know. We've got, mm. we've got Minari. I didn't know anything about Minari. I literally watched the trailer today, which does actually look a delightful film about a Korean or Japanese family who move over to the States. That does actually look a charming film. Nomadland, oh, yeah. which is directed by Chloe Zhao. And it's the first year that two female directors have been nominated, which is one of the big stories. So Nomadland, I think people are expecting to do quite well, obviously, from Francis McDormand's in that Promising Young Woman, the first film on the list that we have watched and we have reviewed, and Trial of Chicago Seven yeah. that we both have we watched. watched a while ago. Yeah. We haven't, we didn't, yeah. kind of, we didn't feature it as a review film. And final one is Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed in as well. So that's the mm. list, but we've only, mm. yeah, we've only really seen two of those. So I mean, the Trial of Chicago Seven was good, but I didn't think it was. I didn't. Good. I thought I really. So was I'm a bit surprised. surprised. I don't know whether even is that a Netflix own as well. Says. 
because it's interesting this year because Netflix has got a couple of movies that they've shown through lockdown, obviously. And it's probably the first time that we're, we're seeing now some of these streaming on-demand channels come through as Oscar nominees as well. So normally they're just shown at the cinema first. Uh, so it's a very different story this time. In the past, I, d- I doubt you'd even get a Netflix film that was even Oscar worthy, to be honest. So, you know, just goes to show how how well they're doing in, in that space as well with their studios. I don't know. I think we need to watch a couple of them. I've heard good things about Judas and the Black Messiah. I've heard good things about Nomadland and Mank is always, they always go for something a little bit different. It may not be the consumer's choice, let's just say, but it might be the critic's choice film. If I was to pick one, maybe we should do that. We'll just pick one and we stick with that as going to be I our... Pick, I pick one right now. Oh, go on then. Go on, you go for one. Well, I think it's worth saying that there are two categories at the Golden Globes for Best Picture because they have the musical or comedy category for which Borat's subsequent movie film won. But Best Motion Picture, which would be the category that you would limit to the Oscars, they had The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Trial Chicago 7. It was Nomadland that won. I will go for Nomadland because... Yeah. Francis McDormand, you know, we've seen it before with Three Billboards and I just knowing what I know about that film and the buzz it's getting and the female director behind it, I'm going to go Nomadland. Mm, I mean, you've got Judas and the Black Messiah and The Trial of Chicago 7. It's about, they're both about, inclusive about Black Panther, aren't they? Um, not necessarily all of it is Chicago 7 is about Black Panther, but majority of it is really. So they kind of go hand in hand. Ooh, if you're going for Nomadland, I should pick something different I think yeah I'm... well I mean maybe it's just about picking two front runners then mm, I think okay that's... you're probably right with no man land but I'm gonna go for Mank okay well I mean it is worth noting that Mank has 10 Oscar oh. nominations but that doesn't always mean that they're gonna win no absolutely not but it's uh it's still quite a big Hall, even for nominated. It's also quite unusual to have a film that's Oscar nominated for 10 different categories. And this has been available on Netflix for a long time, for months now. So I think that's probably the most interesting thing for people if they're into the Oscars, they're into watching Oscar films. It's like you go and watch Mank right now if you've got Netflix, you can do that. And same with Trial of Chicago 7, they're both there to watch. So you might as well. Nomadland is not out yet. Sound of Metal's not. Judas and the Black Messiah is out. And I think it's one of the films that we're interested in looking at in the next couple of weeks or so. Mm. The Father's not out yet. Minari's not out yet. And so only Promising Young Woman of the others and Judas and the Black Messiah is, is available to watch for our slot. Should we quickly just go through one more? I mean, I think it's going to be obvious that Chadwick Boseman is going to get the Oscar for Best Actor for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But you've got Anthony Hopkins for The Father. You've got Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. You've got Stephen Young for Minari. And you've got Gary Oldman for Mank. But I really do think Chadwick Boseman, you can't deny him of of that, basically. No, precisely. Um, He's a complete shoo-in. But, you know, it's one of those things. He's going to probably win the Oscar. And yet I haven't Mm. seen Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mainly Mm because it's just a film where the subject matter doesn't really appeal but it's one of those things where you mm. kind of think oh maybe I should watch it you know I think this is the thing around Oscar season and it and it also feeds into what you're saying sometimes Oscar winning films are critics choices and they're not the most mainstream or they're, mo- they're not the most accessible in terms of kind of maybe the, the subject matter and for me mm. that was the case for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because I think we've been able to watch that one for a while as well so I think yeah. 
think I should probably watch that one. I am excited to watch Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed, and we just talked about it. It's it's up there, of course, for um, Best Picture. Anthony Hopkins, can't wait to see him in The Father, and Olivia Colman. I think those two together, I, I am looking forward to that film. Gary mm. Oldman. And Stephen Yun from Minari, as we say, I, I just, you know, I watched the trailer for it today. So, but it's pretty, yeah, he's nailed on. We'll leave you thinking about best actress. Yeah, let's leave the other categories and look at those next yeah. week. So, yeah, yeah. yes, for this week. Two films for this week. So we have gone for, as the newbie, the Tom Holland film, Cherry which has been out for a short while. It is only available on Apple Plus, but we're both intrigued enough to want to watch this and hopefully won't always be on Apple Plus. So I just looked at the runtime, Sarah. It's two hours, 22 minutes. Make a note of that. (laughs) We'll get on to that in a minute. So yeah, yeah, this is directed by the Russo brothers, starring Tom Holland. Mm. And we have Cherry, who drifts from college, drop out to army medic in Iraq, anchored only by his true love, Emily. But after returning from war with PTSD, his life spirals into drugs and crime as he struggles to find his place in the world. This has had mixed reviews. I know some people who really engage with it, others not so much. But I... I think, if nothing more, to see Tom Holland not in a Spider-Man suit, seeing what he can do. Exactly. I think it'd be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. So this week for the oldies, yeah, so, my oh. list, what's left yeah. is animation, music yeah. or musical, fantasy yeah. or war. Okay. Fantasy, please. Bob. Okay. I've only got five on the list. Okay. I'm going to go for number three, please. Number three is Edward Scissorhands. Ah, brilliant. Cool. It's on my list too. So oh, well, uh, There you go. We can both cross that one off then. This was released in 1990, an hour and 45, Sarah. Hour and 45, this one. Starring Johnny Depp, Winona Ryder, Diane Wiest, one of Sarah's favourite actors, of course, directed um, and written by yeah, Tim Burton. Yeah. yeah and this is about an artificial man who was incompletely constructed and has scissors for hands leading a solitary mm. life then one day a suburban lady meets him and introduces him to the big wide world yeah well i love this film it's a good film and it's streaming on disney plus uh, you can rent or buy from most online channels as well so first of all we had three hours, 58 minutes to do last week for our mm. exercise. I'm just going to get in there right now. You've done it, haven't you? I feel quite smug. I've done four hours, 21 minutes and five seconds. Whoa. I've had a rubbish week. <laughs> <laughs> do you know why? Okay. Do you know what happened? I had my jab last week. Oh, of course. We haven't had a jab update. Take me I to did. Jabba. How did it go? <laughs> Obviously not good. <laughs> don't think any of our listeners know about the jabber joke take me to a jabber so basically when so when you so that sounded like so Arnold Schwarzenegger turn, so when you so when you turn up for your jab you go take me to jabber or it's jabber brilliant. that's a brilliant I think that's like for any movie for any movie fan that is what you have to say I'm definitely going to say it I, I don't care what they look at me I bet away. you don't it's like that kids program where they shout out bogeys, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> Jeremy used to watch that with those two la- two chaps that used to shout bogeys in the, in the middle of a, a museum or something like that. Yeah, take me to Jabba is not quite on the dirty par, but yeah, I, I can't. 
Let's just see the reaction. It'll be hilarious. God. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I had a jab and I had then had a splitting headache for two oh, days. No. So I was set back a little bit. So I haven't, I'm a bit under par. I'm about 20 no. minutes off. I'm not 50 plus, by the way, everyone. It's because I've got asthma. That's why I got the jab. But it did set me back, but it's probably a poor excuse. I could have done more afterwards. And I did go to French Panisia today. Uh, oh. a, a bit of running interval training, in fact, along the mm. beach. Saw lots of stingrays. And yeah, it was very nice. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and it was also a bit, but like weird. But it was like marriage counselling almost. There was this couple that were training me this morning, yeah. And they were talking about how they met and how they got married and stuff like that. Obviously, I didn't have a one-on-one training. It was yeah, it was a recorded training, but it was lovely. The beach and the sunshine was beautiful. So good weather. Good weather. So yeah. I've, done, I've done a couple of walks, and I've done. I have done this interval training. So yes, I am a bit behind. So my do better next week otherwise i but it might well be for this whole challenge that we've got i don't deserve a medal at the moment oh so come <laughs> but I'll on be looking one i'll be looking for a movie one for you though listen if it's the week of your jab then i, I think it's, that's cool i think you take a jabbers, week. Yeah, jabbers you have to take a week off because let's face it no one knows how they're gonna react after yeah yeah jab. but anyway that's good news good news yeah. to get that first one away yeah exactly exactly anyway i think we've got some great Cracking films of Cherry and Edward Scissorhands. And together, run oh, yes. time. Oh, gosh, it's going to be over four hours, isn't it? So an hour 45 minutes for Edward Scissorhands and two hours 22 for... It's four uh, hours and seven minutes. Four hours and seven minutes. Oh, my goodness, my maths is better today. <laughs> I know. That's impressive. No mucking about there. No. Okay, four hours, seven, Cherry and... Edward Scissorhands. There you go. Alrighty, have a fantastic week. Alrighty. And we will talk in a week's time. Bye. Bye.